today on Ag News Daily. And for decades and decades and decades, the landowner has been getting the short end of the stick continuously and consistently in the mineral rights business. It's a very buyer-centered industry. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a, geez, it's already a Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr today. Ashton, it's Wednesday. It's August 19th. That means, if my calculations are right, you are going back to school soon. I am. I start school on Monday, the 24th. So I am excited. I'm a little bit hesitant. Uh, It's my last semester at Tech. Mm -hmm. For my undergrad, I will be going back for graduate school, but last semester of undergrad. And I'm a little bit sad. I have one in-person class and all the rest are online. So I really won't be seeing campus as much as I would like to this semester. Yeah, that's going to be definitely a little weird for you for your last semester, but hopefully grad school, maybe the following semester goes back to some sort of normalcy. I sure hope so, but time will tell. Time will certainly tell. And one thing time has been telling is what has been going on this week with the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. We've been watching it pretty closely here and today they will be in Iowa checking out what yields are actually looking like there. We saw, however, some of the acreage numbers for various states have been following along with them. You can follow them actually on Twitter is how I've been doing it. I think it's probably one of the easiest ways um, since guys that are out there on that tour are tweeting pretty live, so to speak. We saw Nebraska results come in at an average acreage or an average yield count, excuse me, of 175.1 bushels per acre on corn. Pod counts Average for the three by three squares about 1,297 pods. And so in other states, Indiana was another state released estimates. Indiana corn yield is coming in at 179.8, 11% above Indiana's numbers from last year. So today is going to be the day, folks, when we see finally what's out there for Iowa. Of course, this isn't, you know, a done deal. This doesn't mean this is what yields are going to be. And some folks like to argue that perhaps the way they calculate yields on the Pro Farmer Tour aren't the most accurate. But I think this really is going to be very telling, especially for Iowa, to see what kind of numbers are we going to be coming out with here. And the trade is definitely keeping an eye on that today. Well, absolutely, Delaney. I have been following along as well because I didn't really know that this was a thing until you guys mentioned it on the podcast, I believe earlier this week, maybe last week. And so I think it's very interesting myself. Yeah, I suppose you guys don't have any sort of a crop tour. It'd be more of a cotton tour down there, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yes, I I would assume so. Maybe I can uh, kind of arrange that for some of the local farmers around. That would be, yeah, I think that'd be a neat idea. Well, I will have to hop on that. But for now, I will stick to sharing these 
And one headline that I was following today was the Philippines banning poultry products from Australia over a bird flu outbreak. And an official from the Philippines said earlier today it has temporarily banned the importation of domestic and wild birds and their products from Australia after the presence of the highly pathogenic H7N7 avian flu virus was detected at an egg farm. Australia, which accounts for less than 1% of the Philippines' poultry imports, has confirmed the outbreak at an egg farm in Victoria. And the ban from the Philippines covers poultry, meat, day-old chicks, eggs, and semen. The Department of Agriculture said in its August 14th order made public on Wednesday today. And the avian flu can infect humans, although there is limited evidence of human-to-human transmission, according to health experts. So we shall see how long this ban is in effect and what that means since Australia only accounts for 1% of the Philippines' poultry imports. Yeah, right. That's that's a small, very small percentage of that. But avian influenza, like we had, what, back in 2000, I want to say 15. I, I believe right so, there. somewhere around there. I, I um, Yeah, but, you know, that completely decimated the U.S. poultry and bird herds. So definitely something to keep an eye on, because if that were to make its way over here, just like African swine fever, again, that would hurt our meat industries pretty heavily. But Ashton, I want to take things back here just for a second, talking about the storm that, uh, of course, was derecho conditions. President Trump made a brief stop, actually, on Tuesday, just yesterday, in Iowa to promise Iowa farmers that federal help would be coming very rapidly to help this state recover from those straight-line winds. He's saying that most of the damage done, which we've been talking about, has been, of course, to agriculture here in the state of Iowa. Iowa Governor Reynolds, of course, requested about $4 billion and said, or excuse me, has said that most of the $4 billion that she requested is going to go to agriculture-related entities, if you will. And so these are early estimates, that $4 billion worth of damage, but um, she said $3.7 billion of that was between the loss of crops and structures. So President Trump has said aid is coming. We don't have a time yet, timeline yet, or and we don't know if indeed he will be giving us that $4 billion in requested money that Governor Reynolds asked for, or if a new calculation will be made and a portion of that will be granted. Uh, hard to tell yet, but definitely seen some folks picking up and starting to work on cleanup. I'm sure rebuilding will start very, very soon here for folks as well. I sure hope so. And hopefully from here on out, we can only go up. (laughs) That would be the hope. Yes. Well, Delaney, what other headlines are you following on the day? I tell you what, this story came by my newswires yesterday afternoon. Looking at, of course, Dicamba, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has denied requests to rehear the decision about registrations for Extendamax, Fexapan, and Ingenia. 
leaving really the only stop left for dicamba manufacturers to seek an overturn being through the Supreme Court. We saw in a brief ordered this Monday that this court, the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, reported two of the judges on the panel had issues or had on the panel that issued the decision opposing this reopening reopening of the registration. And so judges voted, they decided they will not be rehearing that request or um, essentially, I think, going through basically another kind of process of going through the courts. So really the only thing left we have to see here is it going to the Supreme Court. And I'm guessing it probably will make its way up that chain here at some time. Well, Delaney, I have some news coming out of Wisconsin, and applications are still being accepted there this week for the second round of Wisconsin's Direct Support for Farmers program, which are the direct payments using federal CARES Act funding to the states. And Ag Secretary Randy Romanowski says there's still interest in the remaining $8.4 million available in the assistance program, and he was quoted as saying the applications have been relatively steady since they opened up, so we continue to remind people who are interested to go to the Department of Revenue website, which is revenue.wi.gov. And Romanowski's department told Brownfield Ag News that the halfway point of the application window Monday morning, nearly 2,900 new applications had been received. Of the second round applications already approved, just under half are small farm operators with between 10,000 and 30,000 gross income range. And during the first round, participation was limited to farmers with gross incomes between 35,000 and $5 million. And applications for that assistance program are being taken online through August 24th. So there's not too much time left. So if you are in Wisconsin and need that support, be sure to go to that Department of Revenue website. All right. Thanks for sharing that, Ashton. I tell you what, though, I am all out of news. Should we take a look at the futures markets before we talk land for today's podcast? Let's do it, Delaney. Well, the Grains appear to have, at least in the corn markets, priced in the storm premium from last week's straight line windstorms. The corn market pulled back again today with a September contract, shedding two cents to end at 325 even. The December shedding two cents as well to cut at 339 and three quarters. Soybeans traded positive most of the day, up five cents at one point in the trading session today to end with just slight gains. The September contract finished up just a half a cent at 9.12 and a half. The November up a quarter of a cent to close at 9.14 even. In the wheat pits, giving taking back, I should say, some of yesterday's losses with the September Chicago contract up four and a half cents to close at 5.12. Even the December up four and a half as well to close at 5.22 flat. In the livestock markets, they continued with some upward momentum today. The October contract added 95 cents to end at 110.82. The December live cattle contract up 85 cents to close at 
In the feeder cattle pits, the August contract up 32 and a half cents, sickles at 143.55. The September up 40 cents, sickles at 146 even. In the lean hog markets, the October contract added some life today with a dollar 12 cents move higher to close at 52.55. December added 40 cents to close at 53.57 and a half. And taking a look at our dairy class three milk futures, August contract was unchanged on the day to close at 19.84. The September shed 47 cents today to close at 15.53. Without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation with Jason Walter of National Land. Well, we are joined today by Jason Walter, CEO for National Land. Jason, before we get into it, thanks so much, first of all, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So National Land, the parent company, as you explained to us before we started recording, has a lot of its fingers in a lot of different pies. Would you mind just giving us a general overview about National Land? Sure. So National Land's vision was to become kind of the Google of the land industry. You know, when you go on the internet, you Google it. You know, you just that's just kind of synonymous with the internet. And we wanted to become we want to become that for land. And so we we started with the brokerage firm and have built a, a national platform to have agents on the ground across the country. And in the last couple of years, we've started to add the other ancillary businesses that kind of support the brokerage and, and the clients. And that includes lending. We have our own lending company called Landline Title Company uh, named Vermillion. And we've recently uh, d- done a partnership with Landgate, which uh, is a, is a uh, they do valuations and a listing portal for mineral rights, oil and gas, and also solar and wind. And also we, uh, we have some other some other partnerships. Uh, solar, we we do a lot with solar and commercial. National Land has a commercial division, and so there's a lot of moving pieces, and we're constantly looking to add you know other land services, um, so that our client has a one stop shop. So it makes everything simple. You know we can we can go all the way from finding the property for them to closing the property for them to financing it for them. Um, and then once they own it, finding all kinds of different options to lease it, whether it be hunting lease or or fishing lease or mineral right lease or solar lease or wind or whatever it may be. So it's it's not a it's not a a, a one time transaction. It's just you know we want to be able to provide services throughout the life cycle of that of that ownership with that land. Right. And you're working with them, basically, like you said, they're from start to finish, whether they're buying land, listing land, buying new land, etc. Do you see a lot of other competitors doing kind of, we'll call it this full service? Because you guys, I mean, to be honest, I know of a lot of other companies that will do brokerage and land, but I don't know of a lot of other companies that do all of the different pieces that you guys do. Yeah, we haven't seen it in the land uh sector in the residential you see more of it you know a lot of the big residential uh, brokerage firms have a lending and, and title uh, division but you don't see a lot and there's a whole lot of regulation in the residential where you have all the restful laws which typically don't apply to our deals um, so it's it's we're able to to provide more services with a little bit less uh, stringent oversight 
Tell me a little bit more since we're talking to you. We've got you on here to talk about land. That's always a topic of discussion for farmers. How are land doing land values doing specifically for agricultural land this year? Uh, you know, it's been pretty steady this year. Um, we've been extremely busy. A lot of stuff is moving. So, um, you know, values have at least maintained and, and increased in some markets. But um, we've just been really busy. We had our largest month ever last month, and this month should be last month. So, you know, it's it's, it's an odd time with the the whole COVID situation. And, um, you know, election year is never good. And and so it's it's uh it's been a bit uneasy, which is odd. It, it's a it's an odd situation because we're slam busy. We've got a lot of work going on, and you're still just kind of a little bit waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, so it's it's a it's a very odd time. Um, but we're you know we're making hay while we can. It's it's uh we've been enjoying this year after the March and April shutdown. It's really been been really solid. So tell us a little bit more. You mentioned that not only are you doing the brokerage, the land, the appraisals, all of that stuff, but you're also doing things once farmers have purchased land to, we'll, we'll call it value added to the ground that they already have through your land gate company. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we're really excited about this partnership because these guys are, they're, they're way smarter than we are. They, they uh they know how to you know you've got petroleum engineers and geologists and and then you have a bunch of salespeople so it's a it's a funny marriage but it works well and um, we're really excited because they've created a tool to do very quick almost instant valuations um, for the the mineral rights and also solar and wind um, if in in certain parts of the country where that that works um, so. You know, for the farmers, it's it's a it's a what we've learned, and we've learned all this in the last few months is a lot of people, uh, our clients that own a lot of agricultural land, they think they understand the mineral right business, and we thought we understood it a little bit. What we have learned is they do not understand the mineral right business as much as they might think they do. They do not. And for decades and decades and decades, the landowner has been getting the short end of the stick continuously and consistently in the mineral right business. It's a very buyer-centered industry because you don't understand and I don't understand what the value of oil and gas rights are. And what happens is you get these people coming in and they offer prices. And so the landowners... They communicate a lot. A lot of these farmers, you know, they meet at the coffee shop and they talk shop and communicate. And so if somebody comes into the market and they're offering, I'll give you an example. They're offering $300 an acre. Well, everybody starts talking for, now this is net mineral acres. This is subsurface. And they start talking. And so it becomes kind of understood amongst the community. Well, mineral rights are worth $300 an acre. So that land man kind of ties up the mineral rights, and then he turns around and sells them to another entity. Typically, that gets done four times before it gets to the actual operator and user. So that $300 an acre value, or even say it's 3000 
that might be a more, you know, the landowner says, man, I'm getting 3,000 an acre. My land above ground is only worth 1,200. So they're happy. At the end of the day, that land was actually worth twelve to fifteen thousand. And so, and so, this partnership with Landgate, where they're able to give, they're able to tell the landowner up front, "Hey, no, your land's worth fifteen grand an acre." And then we take it to market through their listing portal, um, which is also going to be on our website in a few months. Um, and and are able to market it at a fair market value to the end user. It's cutting out all these middlemen. A lot of people have made a lot of money, uh, especially in the oil and gas industry. And it's just it's flipping it's just flipping rights. And 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 the, and the you really want to cut out the middle guy. He's not adding any value whatsoever. He's just in the way and making money by getting in the way. You want to get the owner of the mineral rights to the operator. Who's going to be drilling the well and pulling the the, the minerals out of the out of the earth? Um, and, the, and the closer we can get that, the better. Because again, at the end of the day, we're representing the landowner. That's our client. That's why we're in business. That's that is our business is representing landowners. And so we're just trying to get them the best value we can. So um, it, it's been an eye opener to say the least. And and we had a meeting last week. We just lost this thing. It's like. Last week we had a meeting with the with an owner, a couple thousand acres, and you would have thought they were a mental expert. And five minutes into the conversation, they realized real quick they did not know what they were doing, and they were they were they were very excited and happy by the end of that conversation. So, Jason, when I think of national land, I'm I mean it's in the name that you guys are working. Sounds like with a lot of states. So, where are you? doing doing land out is it in all 50 states are you working outside of the u.s where are your services offered so we're licensed to do business in 47 we are registered to do business in 47 states Um, every state except maine hawaii and alaska we have a real estate license and i should know this but i believe it's 39 all of the major, if you looked at a U.S. map, we, we, we would show up in every state today except uh, Illinois and North Dakota. And then you have all the little states up in the Northeast, New Jersey, Delaware, and, and Maine. And, those. and, and we don't, we're in Vermont, but, and we're getting ready to go into New York, but we're not there. So as far as geographical coverage, it's pretty much the whole country. Even in a lot of those states, or well, all but three, um, that we do not have a real estate license. We have still done business there outside of real estate. Might have been some solar work or some some, some consulting work or, or different things. But but our goal is to be in all 48 continental states uh, by the end of the year. That's an awesome goal to have. Jason, we certainly appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us today. This has been very interesting, especially with dealing the dealing with the mineral rights. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Again, a big thank you to Jason Walter for coming on the podcast today to share a little bit more about national land and what they're doing over there. It was certainly interesting to sit in on that conversation and ask a couple questions myself.
Yeah, it's just fascinating to see more vertical integration going on with folks doing full services, like he said there, from selling your land or buying land all the way down to maybe adding some value-added components to the ground that you have. But uh, interesting stuff they're doing. But we're always doing interesting things and interesting guests are always coming on this podcast, Ashton, which they can find on our website at agnewsdaily.com. They can also catch up with you every week on our weekly newsletter that comes out tomorrow. So I'm excited to read that and see what you have to put out for us. You can find that on our website, globalagnetwork.com as well. Ashen, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.